This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning, Heidi. Oh my gosh, I'm in California, but I just talked to you on the phone. Do we ever have some great news, don't we? We do. It's very exciting. I don't know if you want to tell them. Why don't you tell them? Oh, you can tell them because you were on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I just got off the phone with Jeanette Santiago, who runs all the shows for the Manhattan Neighborhood Network in New York City. So it's their public access television network. And she is going to meet with us this Friday to talk about the Open to Hope show, which we've been doing in California, and to give us our schedule so that we can start filming here in New York City. So that's a beautiful thing. We've been waiting for a while, so we can't wait to see her and get our schedule and get up and running here in New York. Absolutely. We we are very excited about this because you can go on our website and watch our TV shows now. We had done Death of a Child, and we are also up for a big award for that, the uh, Creative Vision Award. It was our very first TV show. That was pretty amazing. It wasn't an idea to get a uh, nomination. It was, and it was a great show. And our executive director from the Compassionate Friends, which is where I'm on the board of directors, and my mom's on the advisory board, Pat Loder is her name, and she's the executive director there, and she was our guest on our very first show. And like my mom said, it's it's uh, been nominated for two awards, and we'll find out in January if we got one of those. So keep your fingers crossed. Absolutely, and you can watch that show and other shows that we do on our website, opentohope.com. So we hope that you'll go in there and watch those shows. Yes, Mom, and I was just going to say, I want to add something. I just posted... The Holiday Show. The Holiday Show is now up with Dr. Darcy Sims. It's a fabulous show. If you or anyone you know is trying to figure out how to make it through the holiday and how to find hope during the holiday, please go to our Facebook page, Open to Hope Foundation, and you can click right on a link and you can watch that show. And it's up right now, so do that. Absolutely. And we also have a holiday book, Handling the Holidays After Loss, and you can go to our website and find that. Well, Heidi, speaking to Open to Hope Board, we have one of your fellow board members on the show today. Why don't you introduce Barbara Allen? We do. Um, Barbara is a dear friend. I adore her. I'm very happy to have her on today. Um, She's doing extremely interesting work, which she's going to talk about. And she is on the National Board of Directors for the Compassionate Friends. And she's going to talk today about shattering the stigma of death to overdose. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about Barbara. She does a really lot of things in the world to make it a better place. And she is a leadership coach and a yoga teacher, writer and bereaved parent and sibling. She lost her son Jim, her brother Bill, and niece Amanda to the disease of addiction. Her foundation, James Place, Inc., serves to educate and offer hope for all who suffer this disease and all who love them. And I just want to say before I introduce her completely is that Barbara has had so many losses. It completely overwhelms me, but despite all the losses she had, has had, she has seriously gone on to find hope again and gone on to help other people with addiction and help them deal with, um, you know, finding hope after they've lost someone to the disease of addiction. So we are honored to have you here, Barbara. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I really feel very um, uh, gifted to, to be with both of you and to share with your audience. And let me just add my congratulations on your nomination. I think that's just awesome. 
But then you two ladies rock, so what can I say? <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks, Barbara. Barbara, gosh, uh, you've had a son die, uh, your brother Bill, and your niece Amanda to addiction, your son Jim. Oh, wow. I've got some addiction in my family. Heidi has some in her in-law family, and my father had 10 brothers and sisters. Five of them were addicts, and two of them died of addiction. So, you know, we're not far away from that. But there's so much more known today about addiction and death and that kind of thing and stigma than there used to be in the old days. And it's a little different than my son was killed in an automobile accident, and it's a little different with an overdose, isn't it? It is. I always say that there is no good way to lose a child. Absolutely. And and I absolutely also don't want people to move into a place of competition about, you know, my loss is worse than your loss, which unfortunately we have a world that's kind of nuts uh, about certain things. But there is a reality when we lose somebody in any way related to a substance issue, whether, um, you know, my friend Rhea, whose daughter was murdered, my brother who was murdered, um, an overdose, um, any, any number of things. I was sitting around a uh, sharing session some years ago now, and a grandfather, a bereaved grandfather came in, and he sat down, and he was telling about the horrible loss of his granddaughter to a, a house fire. And he said, why did God take my my granddaughter and not the addict? Oh, wow. Drug addict. Mm-hmm. And around That's the room, people fear. looked at me and like, oh, my gosh, Barbara's going to have a fit. And I didn't. Um, I felt really bad for this man. His, what his loss is is absolutely horrendous. And so when it came around the circle to me and I shared the losses that I've experienced, I could see this man turning a little red, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I owe you an apology. And my my words to him were, no, I don't believe you do. I thank you. But you have a different belief in how the world operates than I experience it today. And this disease, this thing called addiction, is a disease, and many people still think of it as a moral issue, or people are partying, or they just could have said no. When we look at the science of it, and so I talk about, when I talk about shattering the stigma, it's moving the idea of addiction from one of a moral issue to one of a disease and compassion and science. Because that's Mm -hmm. what we're really looking at. And Barbara, I I just wanted to say something. It's interesting that you're saying this, and I completely 100% agree with you. And I remember so well when my father-in-law was in the hospital dying of cirrhosis after many years of drinking he had been in through two wars and had PTSD. So he is dying and he needs a new liver. And the doctor walked in, the doctor, mind you, in a hospital, walked in and said to him and looked at the family and said to him, you deserve to die because you did this to yourself and walked out. And, and we were and completely stunned that even someone yeah. in the medical field would say that. Well, when you look at, you know, and Gloria, you brought up the fact that, you know, what we know today about addiction is uh, different than in the past. I still find it amazing in all the research and, and stuff that I've done that Sears and Roebuck in the 1800s sold a syringe filled with hero- with uh, heroin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> through its catalog. But people don't know that. We used to... Uh take, uh, they had the, the, it turned out it was morphine. When you had a stomach ache when I was a little kid, I can't remember what they called it, yeah. but uh, you'd take a teaspoonful of it. And uh, now I realize that it was actual morphine mm. that you bought at the drugstore. Yes, 
And, I mean, heroin was sold legally in the United States through through pharmacies, at first over-the-counter and then through prescription medication up until 1914. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was the, actually, heroin was the reason, uh, one of the reasons why the FDA itself was actually uh, formed. And, and so we look back over history, and uh, even as recent as when I think about 1980, and in the 1980s, uh, people who were in treatment for drug addiction were served wine at dinner in rehab programs. Hmm, how interesting. So when we look at what is okay, what is normal, what do we believe, there's a lot of ignorance and a lot of shifts and changes. If we can just get some of that information out and help people understand that it isn't about just saying no. I've had somebody in my family say to me, well, Jim should have died. He was an addict. Hmm. And people say the cruelest things. and. Unfortunately, this particular person subsequently lost somebody very dear to him through the same disease. You can believe I didn't go back to them and repeat their words. Yeah. You know, there are a couple of areas that I think we're touching on here, and I think it would be helpful for our our audience out there, particularly those who've lost people to drug overdose. One is blaming the child who dies, and the other one's blaming the parent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about those two aspect uh, families? Yes. So let's talk about blaming the parents. I have a dear friend whose stepson has a challenge. He has the disease of addiction. And for the longest time, her husband would not be around me or speak to me and didn't want any advice. And his comment was, well, if she was a better parent, her son wouldn't have died. Mm. All I can do is pray for her son or his son and help her. And I've worked with her a lot to help her understand um, what she can do as a step parent. Mm -hmm. And 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 work with her relationship with her spouse. And now talk about blaming the child a little bit. He was so reckless in how he lived, that kind of idea. Well, that's very, very common. They were just having a good time. If they just said no, all that mentality of being wild and reckless. And one of the things I really enjoy is talking to parents whose children have died through this and asking them to tell me positive things. What did they enjoy? What did they want out of life? And when we begin to see our children as human beings who wanted to be arc welders or be architects or wrote beautiful music or were artists, and we can start to make them human beings rather than objects because, as you know too well, in this world we tend to objectify people. And when you're an object, then we can dislike you, we can think bad of you. But when we become human, we can ask more specific questions about who, are, who were they in life, and they're more than this disease. Just as somebody who has cancer, they're more than the disease that they had. They're human beings. Did you find that uh, people didn't mention your child as much, do you think, with a drug overdose or mention his name? or I've heard some people say that where there's uh, an overdose or something. People tend to be want to remove themselves a bit more. Absolutely. And I became very much aware of that when my brother Bill was killed. First of all, it was a it was a murder. It was on the front page of the paper, and uh, there were drugs that were involved in it. And to me, I talk about my brother all the time. In fact, I have to say to you guys, I woke up. I had a dream about him this morning, and this is the first time I've dreamt about Bill in a long time. It was so awesome. Oh, it was one of those healing good dreams, huh? Oh, it was it was amazing. It was just like, oh, there you are. Um, but yes, um, certainly people didn't want to talk about people. Our, our neighbors were wonderful. 
but they wouldn't ask about Jim per se. And they'd known him, not particularly well, because he lived in different states, and he stayed here for a while, lived with us for a while, but he was very often off living someplace else. But afterwards, it was as if he didn't exist. And even in meetings with other uh, bereaved parents, um, they wouldn't mention it. It would be, uh, they would be uncomfortable. And for me personally, I would simply insinuate my brother, uh, my son, and then after my niece died almost two years ago, the same thing. I talk about her often, and that really gives her mother and um, my brother permission, if you will. I don't think I don't think they need it, but they think they need it. Well, Heidi, what's your thought about that? Barbara's website is so powerful. And I'm looking at the fact that your, it says here that your son had a 22-year battle with the disease of addiction. And he had multiple rehabs, sobering up in jail, going in and out. And then he, he for a long time, he would be sober, et cetera. And what I'm interested in is I know he overdosed on heroin and alcohol in 2003. And you say here that you struggle with deep grief and overwhelming feelings of guilt and failure. I'm wondering, you're in a different place today. How did you get where you are today? How did you get through the guilt and feeling like you failed? What would you say to people out there that are in those places, parents that are feeling like, okay, I let my child down or I feel guilty? I think it's a natural thing as a parent to want to save your children, protect your children, it's no different when they become adults. It doesn't really matter. I mean, unfortunately, my neighbor next door died recently. She was 51 years old. She died of cancer. Her mom still thinks, you know, it's only been six weeks, but she thinks there's something that she could have done or figured out, mm-hmm. if only. Mm-hmm. So in my case, um, I have a very deep spiritual belief system, and... I also have some part of me that refuses to let go, or refuses to die, I should say. And so I did spend, what I now I can laugh, but for the first 18 months after Jimmy died, I was researching rehabs and treatments for heroin. And mm. I knew it was worthless. I mean, I knew that it was, was, it was useless. But at the same time, it was this long-term compulsion uh, that I had, I mean, it started when he was 14. And mm-hmm. I decided I just needed to let it run its course. And rather than fight it, if that's what, I, and then I would find something and I would say, okay, do you feel better now? And I could begin to laugh at myself. Um, so humor. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, my son was incredibly funny. And mm-hmm. if anybody could turn things around in my head, it was Jim who'd say, come on, Ma, give me a break here, you know? So part of it was definitely humor, talking to other people reading and researching, and and that's really got me going. When I got off the, if only I had, I should have been, I was a terrible mother when he was younger, what about this and what about that? I kind of truly bored myself. Right. I like that. You bored yourself, and it sounds to me like you had a little let go, let God kind of thing going on here, too. But tell us about your website and everything before we close the show and what you're doing. After I bored myself, I came across a report on the internet called After the War on Drugs. And I physiologically had a major physical shift in my physical body, my mental body, my emotional body. And I began to see hope. I had lost hope. I figured, I guess there's nothing you can do about this horrible disease. And that one report out of a European consortium sent me on a journey of researching and reading 
uh, obscure medical journals, websites, talking to people, meeting with former DEA agents, uh, parents all over the country and in Europe um, and Canada and whatever. And after a while, I thought, well, I have all this data. I'm talking to people. I'm giving presentations. I guess I should put it out there. So I began to load the website and um, gather the information and just put it out there and say, did you know this? Did you know that? And the more I talked to parents who've lost children uh, at any age um, for anything related to a substance uh, issue uh, and watched them say to me, and this is where I get teary, this is where I get choked up, when they say to me, you've given me my son back. You've given me my daughter back. Hmm. Because they've seen that they aren't, that this is a disease and that their children weren't willful they were fighting. They could see. They could begin to see the process better, and in a, in a greater view, if you will. And so, for me, it's been a passion of educating people, helping them get their children back, to appreciate that they did do some wonderful things as parents. That this is a disease, and we have a society that doesn't get it, uh, and yet there's tremendous resources being put. Uh, to research, to deal with it, and it's very complex. So if I can help people understand through the website. And give us your website again. It's shatterthestigma.com. Great. Well, Barbara, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today, and thanks for all the work you're doing to help families and help children, and you're such a a great example of wonderful spirit and energy, and thanks for uh, being on the board of the Compassionate Friends. That's a great place. Well, thank you for the time and, and for offering hope. Thanks, Barbara. You're welcome, Heidi. Well, Heidi, very interesting show today. I know there are people out there who are really going to benefit from, it feels to me like one of the greatest things that I take from this show is the spirit of a mom who has lost so much, a brother and a child and a niece. And the human spirit is, is pretty amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It really is. And a bunch of things I want to say. One is that I feel like Barbara really is helping to shatter the stigma out there. And there is such a stigma. And addiction and the use of addiction is increasing in this country. And I feel like the other the other message that Barbara kind of left us with is that she did the best that she could at the time. You know, she tried to do everything. She exhausted her options with, with her child. She did as much as she could, and she lo- if love would have saved her child's life, he would be alive today. Absolutely. And, and for all of you out there, we know the love that you have for your kids, too. Well, thanks for listening to the show today, and please tune in again next week for more of Open to Hope. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.